Hi there, and welcome to the Future of Influence podcast. Here we discuss the power of influence, leadership, overcoming challenges, and more. They call me King Raj Singh, creator of the Future of Influence podcast. Stay on after the show, and we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in our industry. With that, here we go. Welcome to the Future of Influence. I'm your host, Sandy Fowler, and today I'm chatting with John J. Murphy. John is the founder and owner of Venture Management Consultants and can be found online at johnjmurphy.org. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sandy. Great being here. So you're telling me that Venture Management Consultants has a birthday coming up? It does. 33 years next month, June 9th. Well, that's exciting. So 33 in June. So actually, probably it'll be in the past by the time we get the podcast all edited and out there. So we'll say happy birthday. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there, who you're working with, how you're helping them? Sure. Well, I started the practice in 1988, and it started out small and has grown. I've now trained thousands of people in over 50 countries. That's also led me into writing. So I've uh, just published my 20th book. So it's been a journey uh, of, of learning and sharing. Um, I spe- specifically help uh, people with leadership development and team building and culture change, really changing the vibe, so to speak, of the of the companies that they work in. And uh, so it's been a fascinating journey and I love what I'm doing. It's, it's in my heart. So uh, I am influencing people as best I can to make the world a little bit better place. Well, and culture change, that's a tall order. Because when you're taught, when you're working in a company and you're trying to change a corporate culture, that takes a lot. What have you found to be, I guess, really, uh, really useful to know about that process? Well, one of the most common mistakes people make is they try to change individual behavior and attitudes and things like that. Um, But I do it a little bit differently. So culture is essentially the way we do things around here. You could think about culture in a family, a neighborhood. It's the way we do things around here, which is synonymous with our systems and structures, the way our organization is designed. So how do we change culture? The way we do things around here, we change it by changing the way we do things around here through the systems and the structure. Uh, W. Edwards Deming once said, put a good person in a bad system and the bad system wins no contest. So what I do is I go in and with tools like operational excellence and lean and Six Sigma, some very practical tools, I lead teams through culture change by taking, let's just say a process with a hundred steps in it and leaning it down to 40 steps, cutting the time in half and really optimizing the way people and systems integrate and work together. And it's, it's fast, it's mind blowing. And when we're finished with what I call Kaizen events, Kaizen is a Japanese word that essentially translates into good change by running rapid improvement events, Kaizens. In five days, we've got significant change already implemented rather than planning month after month after month what we're gonna do next year. So it's rapid, it's, it's definitely changing the way we do things around here immediately. So culture doesn't take five years to change, like some people suggest. You can change culture very quickly by changing the way 
we process work the way we do things. That's very interesting. And thinking about from a corporate standpoint, there's the actual work that's going out the door. There's also the internal work, how your company handles vacation policy and time off and things like that. Do you get into those aspects as well? Well, we really zero in on what's value added and what is not value added. Value added is what the customer is actually receiving and paying for. And the value stream is what it takes to actually get that developed and delivered. Uh, I use this metaphor in one of my workshops. Imagine you're sitting on the couch wanting to watch a movie that's not on television and you want to watch it on television. Let's say 10, 15 years ago, what would your process be? <clears throat> Chances are you'd get off the couch, you'd go down to Blockbuster Video, you'd you know look at the shelves, you'd pick out the video that you want, hopefully they have it. You'd come home, you'd load the machine, you'd sit down on the couch, and you'd start watching the movie. <clears throat> Things have changed. Because that process, if you mapped that out, you could time it. How long does it take? How many steps are involved? Most of that process is not value added because what you really want is to watch the movie. And I say, when do you want to watch it? Ideally, right now. Guess what you can do today? You can watch all kinds of movies without leaving your couch. Where did these innovations come from? They came from clever, innovative companies that said, go into the video store is it's not value added. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes money. So let's figure out a way to beam the movie to people, to stream it, that kind of thing. And of course, in the falling, you no longer have blockbuster video in some of these places. They're gone because they got blasted by a paradigm shift, a complete shift in the way we do things. So when I go into an organization, we'll start out mapping it defining and measuring the current state. This is how it is. And we find out that there's just all kinds of distractions and waste and duplications and complexities. So we we strip it out so that we get better flow. We use the term flow a lot in, in, in operational excellence. And well, flow translates into product flow, service flow, creativity flow, human flow in terms of working together as a team and ultimately cash flow. So it's a whole new world in terms of getting value to the market quickly and innovatively and cost effectively. And those that aren't abiding by these new norms are finding themselves in deep trouble. And you're working in, you said, change and leadership and culture change. So those are areas where you're influencing individuals and you're coming at it from a process standpoint. When you're looking at that, what are key things you think about or do or suggestions you have for us when it comes to influencing people? Yeah, well, I've identified a number of things that are critical to influencing people. And I learned this when I left a corporate executive job in 1988 to start my practice. No longer did I have any authority, couldn't make anybody do anything. So when I go into a client, I have no authority. I only have influence. And to influence effectively, the number one thing you've got to have is credibility. People have to believe you, which means you've got to do your homework. You've got to have your facts straight. You've got to be intelligent, thoughtful, and help people see value in what it is you're offering. That credibility is key. And to help boost credibility, I mean, I've been a lifelong student. I've uh, read and I, I was a self-help junkie learning everything I possibly could. I still do. 
and then turning around and publishing. So publishing is a way for me to boost credibility and to, uh, and to help people. Another factor is optimism, being positive, being solution focused. A lot of people are problem focused. Oh, we got a problem here. We got a problem there. But I like to remind people that solutions are one side of the same coin that problems are, the two sides to the same coin. There's a problem and there's a solution. There is no problem without a solution. So to go in optimistically and help teams become solution focused, we're going to solve this. We're going to figure it out. We're going to make it better as opposed to negative and, uh, and problem focused. Another one is confidence. You've got to go in with confidence and poise. I learned this as a quarterback. You walk up to the line of scrimmage, you have a play call, you've been practicing all week, you know what you want to happen, but the truth is when that ball is snapped, you don't know what's going to happen. Okay, so life is uncertain. You get up in the morning, you have a plan, you have a strategy, but you've got to be able to pivot. And you have to walk up to that line of scrimmage, so to speak, or approach the day, approach the client, approach whatever it is you're doing, the interview, the, the exam you're about to take with confidence and be prepared because being prepared will help you boost confidence and be poised. You can't go up there full of fear and doubt and worry and expect to influence people in any kind of positive way. Another important factor for influence is knowledge. Become that lifelong uh, student, that learner. Keep your mind open and explore and, and, and offer people alternatives and options that maybe they've never seen before. Uh, again, that takes credibility to get people to, uh, to take you seriously. I also find that it's important to use a rational model when solving problems. You're not just winging it. And I like to use a model called DMAIC, D-M-A-I-C. So we start with D, which is define. Define the current state. Define the problem. Define what it is you're trying to uh, improve. Measure it. That's the M in DMAIC. Get your facts. Get the data. What is the data? tell you. Okay. So make sure you measure. It's like going to the doctor, you know, for an exam, the doctor's going to take some measurements. What do these measurements mean? Then we find from the measurements, undesirable effects, things that are going on that we, we don't like mistakes, errors, duplications, complexities. So the A in Demaic is analyze, analyze. Why are these things happening? Do the root cause analysis, get down to the real root causes. I call them strategic leverage points. You find a strategic lever leverage point and you solve the problem at that level, you'll get 10 UDs that go away, 10 undesirable effects just evaporate. That, that's significant change and that boosts credibility. The I is in Demaic is improve and innovate. So from the analysis, make the changes, just do it. And then the C in Demaic is control. So once you've made the improvements, you've got to figure out a way to sustain them. So that model, unites teams. We're all on the same page. We're aligned as we go through the process. We're all defining at once. We're all measuring at once. We don't have people all jumping all over the place, coming up with solutions before they've even got the facts straight. So again, that model, it works. It's very powerful. It's used by global best practice companies all over the world. And, and uh, uh, it's something I teach and it's something I use to, to really make a difference and influence. Another, another is being prepared to deal with what I call the yeah buts. It's a whole chapter in my book, uh, Zentrepreneur. Yeah buts, yeah, but you're too old. Yeah, but you're too young. Yeah, but you don't have your facts straight. Yeah, it's resistance. And we always run into some form of resistance. So be prepared for the yeah buts. 
and use tools like failure mode and effect analysis. If you've got an idea and you're going to want to implement it, and somebody says, yeah, but I'm worried about that. Yeah, but that could be a problem. Failure mode effect analysis says that you've anticipated anything that could go wrong and you've come up with countermeasures. That boosts credibility and influence immensely because you've risk-proofed whatever it is you want to do because people are often afraid, especially of significant change. The last two are flexibility and perseverance. You've got to be able to pivot and adapt to that uncertainty that's always likely to show itself. And you got to stick with it and persevere. So those are just eight characteristics that I have applied and used and written about uh, for many years now to influence a lot of change without any authority at all. I think that's really interesting, John, especially what you said to to um, help affect change with no authority, because that's a huge challenge. And so I'm curious, as you were growing your own business, were there particular situations or um, is this just an accumulation of knowledge over time? Was there, I'm wondering what prompted you to specifically come up with these eight items? Experience. So I've, I've reflected on this. I'm actually working on a book right now on influence and I've reflected on this and, and what, what has led me uh, to 33 years of success as an independent consultant without any authority. What, what, what did it take? And, and these eight things are absolutely critical to, to, to my success. Um, and it's been an ongoing journey. So maybe there'll be nine or 10 that show up <laughs> later as I continue to learn and explore. But I'll tell you, I, I, I heard the word, the word no a lot when I was first getting started. I was trying to get business and, you know, I, I, I looked like I was a teenager. I, you know, what do you know? How could you possibly come in here and teach us anything? So I had to be creative and figure out <clears throat> what's, a, what's another way to, to get business. So rather than knocking on doors, I figured out a way to get doors to knock on me. I, I use a pull strategy rather than a push, rather than pushing my brand and pushing myself onto companies and, and getting that resistance. I found ways to intrigue them. So I developed a workshop, for example. And uh, my first workshop, I, 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 did, I taught at a university in Michigan and uh, I had <clears throat> only a handful of people show up. But out of that first workshop, uh, I was able to wow enough of them to get two clients out of it, including a bank who was willing to then loan me some money. And, uh, uh, you know, the workshop itself, you might call a flop financially because it cost more for me to put it on than it did to in terms of uh, registration fees and things like that. But to get two new clients and, uh, and, and pull versus push, that led to not just local workshops in Michigan, um, but national seminars. And, uh, you know, before long, I had people like the CIA and the, the Michigan State Senate and major corporations, the U.S. Navy, all coming to my workshops. I think of that type of a workshop really as a marketing expense rather than you said, you know, some people could consider it a flop, but really it was a marketing tool for you. But I love that you were using influence at that point. You were, as you said, I like that intriguing them. So they came to you and asked about working with you. I think that's a fantastic. So you've grown your influence tremendously over the last 33 years. 
What are your plans for growing that further and what will you do with it as you grow more influence? Yeah, it was, it's a wonderful question, Sandy. You know, I've influenced and helped uh, hundreds of thousands of people and sold hundreds of thousands of books, but I'm not into the millions yet. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to continue to share, uh, to write, to teach, to speak, do what I can to uh, make the world a better place, help people deal with uncertainty and stress. Uh, my work's led me into uh, more of a, a spiritual twist, if you will, inspirational, in spirit meaning fearless, helping people get out of their own way and uh, and, and flow, just because we're designed for flow. It's our essence. You know, we're, we're like flowers. Flower, flowers don't try to grow. They grow because they're supposed to. And it's natural for them to, to, to blossom. And I believe people are the same, that we are, our essence is to grow and to, and to blossom. But we got to get out of our own way and let go of resistance and doubt and fear and stress and all these things that are distracting us from getting into that zone, as athletes like to call it, to getting into that, that, that flow. So uh, my work's evolved from a lot of more mechanical type, team building type writings and teachings and seminars to very inspirational stuff, helping people uh, Blossom. So where can we find you online, John? You've told us about a lot of different things that you're doing. Where can we access all of that? Well, my website, johnjmurphy.org, is uh, the first place to start. And from that, you can see uh, I'm on Facebook, John, author John J. Murphy. I'm on LinkedIn as John J. Murphy Mystic. Um, my Twitter account is Sage Leader. Uh, I'm easy to find. And uh you know, you can you can see my body of work there. The, the various books I've written. There's a lot. I have a YouTube channel with over 200 free video clips on just different things you can do to improve your performance, improve your life, improve your your feelings, just how you feel about the world and your your relationships. Um, even things on wellness and nutrition and and um, just taking good care of yourself. Well, thank you for taking time to join us today. You've given us a lot to think about when it comes to influence and some great areas to look at as we try to grow our own influence. Yeah, well, influence is the name of the game, Sandy, because uh, whether you know it or not, you're influencing people one way or another just by walking around during the day and how you look at people, how you smile, eye contact, remembering people's names, simple little things all add up. So it's all about awareness and, and higher consciousness and, and being awake. So I help companies and individuals wake up, so to speak, and see things a little bit differently and, and, and certainly more optimistically. And, and that is very influential. Well, thank you for your time today, John. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for listening to the Future of Influence podcast. If you're interested in sharing your story by being a guest on our show, please visit https colon slash slash kingrajsingh.com slash podcast slash apply to apply. And if you liked what you heard, please also visit and follow us on all social media. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Once again, they call me King Raj Singh, and thanks again for listening to the Future of Influence podcast. Tune in next time.